please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. So today we're looking at Ephesians 1 verse 13, or at least most of verse 13, uh, which means that we are uh, nearly at the end of this magnificent opening section of Ephesians 1. And if you've been here throughout the fall, you've heard me say many, many times that verses 3 to 14 are all one long sentence of over 200 words in the original Greek text. You've heard me say it a lot. I know that um, you know, even the elementary school children here, they know that fact about Ephesians 1, and I think that's a good thing. So, uh, and because of this long sentence we've been working our way through, um, even though I'm only going to be preaching from verse 13, um, and not even all of it, I'm going to be reading from verse 3 to verse 14, because remember, I want you to keep in your mind the whole context of what Paul is saying, what he's, what he's praying, what he's, in effect, singing in this glorious prayer hymn here in Ephesians 1, from verse 3 to verse 14. I'll read all of it, even though we'll focus on verse 13. And so hear now God's holy, inspired, inerrant, life-giving word. I'll begin reading verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. And it's absolutely true. It's given to us in love for our good. So we'll be looking at verse 13 or most of verse 13 under the following three headings. The gospel is good news. Second, the gospel is the same good news for everyone who believes. And then third, the gospel must be heard and believed. So the gospel is good news. The gospel is the same good news for everyone who believes. And then thirdly, the gospel must be heard and believed. And so first, the gospel is good news. So look at verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. So you're going to hear that word gospel a lot today. We see it here in verse 13. If you've my guess is that for most of us, maybe every one of us in this sanctuary, that word gospel is a word we've heard before. It's a word we're familiar with, at least at some level. We've heard it before. It's a very you know, religious word, a very churchy word. 
And perhaps even we, we would say, okay, raise our hand and say, I, I know what it means, Richard. I can tell you what it means. But the question is, do we really understand it? See, there's not a more familiar or common word for someone who spent much time in a local church or even around you know, parachurch ministries than the gospel. But do we really understand what the gospel is and what it's not? That Greek word translated gospel in Ephesians 1.13 is the Greek word euangelion. Euangelion, and it literally means good news. Good news or good tidings. The announcement, the proclamation, the declaration of, of good news. Okay, but looking at verse 13, it says, When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. That is, believed in Christ. So the gospel means good news, but it's not just good news in general. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the announcement, the declaration, the proclamation of the good news of what Jesus has done to save sinners like us. And this is good news. It's good news. It's not good advice. There's a big difference. I mean, that's a key point we've got to make. This, we have to differentiate between good advice and good news. The gospel is good news, not merely good advice. So a question for us this morning is, do we understand the difference? Because it's a very, very important difference. It's a very important distinction between understanding the gospel as merely good advice hearing and believing the gospel is good news. See, if the gospel was merely good advice, then that would mean the content, that the focus of the gospel message would be what we needed to do. What we ought to do, what we should do, or, or what we could do to save ourselves or to at least contribute to our own salvation in, in some way. See, if the gospel is merely good advice, then it's a, it's a lot like you know, self-help techniques, self-improvement strategies. If the gospel is merely good advice, it's something like this. Okay, do this, do these things, this list, these list, this list of things to kind of clean your life up. And then you'll be better off. You can do these things, apply these techniques, do these things, stop doing these things, and you can clean your life up. Then you're, you'll be happier. You'll be healthier. You'll be more well-adjusted. Your kids will be more well-adjusted. See, if the gospel is merely good advice, it's a lot like that cosmic moral accounting system we've been talking about, where God looks down from heaven, and our good deeds are credits to our account, and our bad deeds are our sins. The selfish things that we do are debits from our account. If the gospel is merely good advice... Then it's telling us, just make sure your good outweighs your bad. Make sure you finish life in the black. You do enough good so that it counteracts and it makes up for the bad things you do. See, if the gospel is good advice, then it would simply be, you need to just be a little bit better. There's a big problem with I just need to be better. Do you realize that's a big problem? There's actually, there's a twofold problem with thinking of the gospel as good advice, but I just need to be better. 
The first problem with I just need to be better is that I, I just can't be better enough. I just can't be better enough on my own. I just can't stop sinning on my own. And the reason why I can't is because my sin's not just in what I do and what I say, but Jesus teaches us that, that my sin, that your sin, that it comes from your heart. And so I, I know I've already used that word sin, and some of you think, oh, I don't like the word sin. But I know that we all understand sin. That's why we don't like it. Right? That we know there are things that we do think and say that we're ashamed of, and we feel guilty about, and we try to hide from other people. And we know there are things that we do think and say and desire that, that hurt and wound the people who we're supposed to love best. And they hurt and wound us. And, and we know that we can point out sin in other people's lives, right? They shouldn't have done that. They ought to not do that. That's wrong. So we understand sin, what Jesus teaches us, what the Bible does. But Jesus specifically in Mark 7, verses 21 to 23 is that our sin is not just out there, not just in what we do, but it comes from within. Jesus says in Mark 7, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. See, Jesus tells us that our sin comes from within our hearts. And that's why we can't be better enough. Because we cannot give ourselves our own spiritual heart transplant. We can't fix our hearts. And we know that's our problem, don't we? Don't we know that from our own experience? I mean, how many times do we have to say, you know what? Tomorrow I'm going to be different. Tomorrow I'm going to be better. Tomorrow I'm going to turn over a new leaf. And I'm going to white knuckle my way to being better. I'm going to pull myself up by the bootstraps. I'm going to make these new resolutions. I'm going to fix things. I'm just going to be better. And then we see that we can't. And the reason why we can't is because Jesus tells us the problem is with our hearts. And so the good advice to just be better, that's not the gospel. That's not good news. The second problem with I just need to be better is that the Bible tells us that God is holy. He's perfect and perpetually holy. Therefore, we can never be better enough. See, God never sins and God can never have anything to do with sin. Therefore, our sin is a big problem because it means our moral performance always, it always falls well short of God's perfect standard. We never, ever measure up. And so I just need to be better. And the truth is you do need to be better. And I need to be better. But no matter how much we say to ourselves, I just need to be better, not one of us will be better enough. Our own attempts at self-righteousness will always fall short of God's righteous requirements. Besides, even if you could be perfect and be better, be perfect from today forward, we still can't go back and we can't erase all the sin, all the things that we've done. Even if you could, from today forward, begin to amass this incredible incredible credits to your account, you cannot go back and erase those debits. There's nothing you can do that can redeem that, even if you could be perfect from today forward, but which we can't. See, for God to remain holy, he must deal with our sin justly. And a holy God cannot, must not, will not simply sweep our sin under the rug. 
A holy God cannot, must not, will not turn a blind eye to our sin. A holy and perfect God will not, cannot, must not say, well, yeah, okay. I'll, I'll grade on a curve. Boys will be boys, girls will be girls. It's not a big deal. No, our sin must be paid for. It must be accounted for. And this is where Jesus comes in. See, the gospel is not merely good advice about what we need to do or what we should do or what we can do to save ourselves or at least contribute in some way to our own salvation. No, the gospel is good news. Not good advice, good news about what Jesus has already done. What he's already accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection to save sinners like us. You know, put another way, the gospel is the difference between the words do and done. Between do and done. See, the gospel is not about what we must do or what we should do or what we can do to earn our salvation. The gospel is the good news of what Jesus has done for us. Of what he has accomplished for us. This means that the gospel is both the good news of historical fact about all that Jesus has done for us, and the gospel is the good news of the theological doctrine and significance because of all that Jesus has done for us. And here's what I mean. The historical facts of the gospel are although we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Jesus, the eternal divine Son of God, took on flesh and dwelt among us. And he lived the perfect, perfectly obedient life without sin to fulfill the righteous requirements of God's law. That is, Jesus Christ lived the life that we failed to live. And Jesus died a substitutionary atoning death on our behalf, in our place, on Calvary's cross. That is, Jesus Christ died the death that we deserve to die. And Jesus rose from the dead on that first Easter morning as our risen Lord. These are the historical facts. The historical facts of the good news of the gospel. As the Apostle Paul summarizes them in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. See, these are the historical facts of the gospel, the good news of what Christ has done to save sinners like us. And these historical facts have glorious theological meaning and significance for all who trust in Jesus. See, Jesus died for our sins, and through our union with Christ by faith, we're forgiven. And we're washed clean from the guilt of our sin. We're granted full forgiveness, a complete pardon. We've been set free from the enslaving and domineering power of sin. Jesus lived a perfect life, fulfilling all the demands of righteousness. And through our union with Christ, by faith, we are justified and clothed in his righteousness, in his robes of righteousness, credited with Christ's righteous record. Jesus rose from the grave, and through our union with Christ by faith, we have been raised to new spiritual life. We've been born again, received new hearts, been enabled by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to walk in newness of life. 
As Robert Rollock, one of the lesser-known Protestant reformers of the late 1500s, here's how he summarizes it. I think this is a very helpful quote. He says, It is called the gospel of salvation because it is the happy and cheerful news. See, it's not good advice. It's not merely good advice. It's good news. It is happy and cheerful news of all Christ has done to save sinners like us. It is called the gospel of salvation because it is the happy and cheerful news of salvation. The gospel not only announces salvation to us, but also reveals the very righteousness of Christ by which it happens that we are saved and the whole reason of our redemption in Christ. The incarnation, humiliation, and finally the exaltation of Christ. So first, the gospel is good news, not merely good advice. It's the good news of what Jesus has done to save sinners like us. Second, the gospel is the same good news for everyone who believes. It always has been. And that's the key. It always has been. I'm going to show you. I mentioned last Sunday, but there's a change in pronouns from we to you to our as we move through Ephesians 1 verse 12 to verse 13, to verse 14. So we saw last week in verse 12, Paul writes, we, we who were the first to hope in Christ, and that we is referring to Jewish Christians like Paul. If we look at our verse, verse 13, he uses the word you, the pronoun you. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. You see in, in Ephesians 1, verse 13, Paul changes from we to you. In him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And so the you is referring to Gentile Christians, which is what most of the Ephesians were. And then in verse 14, Paul will write about our, our inheritance, referring to the inheritance all Christians, Jews and Gentiles alike, share in Christ. So the gospel, the good news of Jesus' work through his life, death, and resurrection to save sinners, it was the same for Jewish Christians like Paul. And it was the same for Gentile Christians like most of the members of the Ephesian church. It's the same for sinners like us today. And it was even the same for believers in the Old Testament. Now I'm going to share with you a quote. It's a long quote. It'll take a few different slides. It's from Pastor Richard Phillips, but, but stay with this quote because it's helpful. It's helpful, and for, for some of you, it, it's going to be mind-blowing in a very good way. Just stay with me. When Paul says that God's plan offers salvation through faith in Jesus, this is true for every era in history after the fall of Adam into sin. Let me, let me just stop there. Okay, the fall of Adam. And so I, I don't want to assume everybody understands we're talking about the fall of Adam. There was it was a time, uh, it was a long time ago, um, my, my children came home from um, here, a, a program here at the church where they learned about Adam's fall into sin, and so I was, okay, well let me ask them questions about it, and I asked my kids, okay, when, when did the fall, you know, okay, when did Adam sin in the garden? And the answer from one of my children, I won't tell you his name, but the answer from one of, one of my children was, well, Daddy, it wasn't the summer and it wasn't the winter, it was the fall. That's when it was. It was the fall. That's when it happened. But we're not talking about a city. We're talking about the time when, when Adam, when Adam disobeyed God, rebelled against God, and ate the forbidden fruit in the garden. When Paul says that God's plan offers salvation through faith in Jesus, 
This is true for every era in history after the fall of Adam into sin. The Jews of old were saved through faith in the gospel of Christ as he was presented in the types and ceremonies of the Old Testament. Paul thus stressed that Abraham was saved by faith in the gospel, and then he quotes from Galatians 3. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. In Paul's own day, believing Jews were saved by faith, being the first to hope in Christ. That's Ephesians 1, verse 12. And then Gentiles were incorporated into Christ by means of faith in his gospel they had heard. Salvation always coming through faith in Jesus. So put another way, God's people in the Old Testament were not saved and forgiven of their sins because they obeyed God's law well enough. They weren't saved through their obedience. They weren't saved by keeping the law. Like, don't believe any teaching that says Old Testament saints will be in heaven because of their obedience, while New Testament saints will be in heaven because of their faith. Right? That previous quote from Richard Phillips, it quotes, it quotes um, Genesis 3, which is quoting from the Old Testament. It's quoting from, he quoted Galatians 3, which is quoting Genesis 15, verse 6. And here's what Genesis 15, 6 says. And he, talking about Abraham, believed the Lord. And he, the Lord, counted it to Abraham as righteousness. So what did Abraham believe? You know, in the immediate context of Genesis 15, he believes God's promise. He believes God's promise that God is going to provide him with a son. And then from that son will become many descendants. Will turn into to a great nation that will bless all the families of the earth. So Abraham believes that. He believes that promise. But, but in that promise wrapped up is that through Abraham, through his descendants, through his family, through this nation that will come from Abraham's descendants will come the offspring of the woman. The promised Savior from back in Genesis 3.15. The offspring of the woman who will defeat Satan's sin and death itself. That, that while the serpent will strike his heel, he will crush the serpent's head. This is ultimately a promise by a promise, Abraham believing the promise of God that one day the Savior, the Redeemer of God's people would come. And you think, okay, well, Richard, how do I know that's exactly what Abraham believed? Because that's what Jesus tells us Abraham believed. That's what Jesus says Abraham believed. Jesus says this in John chapter 8, verse 56. Jesus says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. He, Abraham, believed the Lord. And the Lord counted to Abraham as righteousness. You see, the various types and ceremonies of the Old Testament pointed Abraham and the other Old Testament saints forward to the coming Savior. Abraham and the other Old Testament saints were saved from their sins and will be in heaven because of their faith in the Savior who was to come. Just as we who trust in Jesus today are saved from our sins by the Savior who has come and is coming again. So the gospel is the good news not merely the good advice, but the good news of what Jesus has done, has accomplished to save sinners. The gospel has been and is the same good news for everyone who believes. And here's the last thing. The gospel must be heard and believed. 
It must be heard and believed. So look again at verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Heard and believed. The gospel must be heard, which means it must be preached. It must be declared. It must be shared. It must be proclaimed. It must be preached each and every Lord's Day in this pulpit. Each and every Lord's Day, without exception. That it must be declared and made plain in in our worship service from beginning to end. And in the songs that we sing and the liturgy that we put together. And our confession of sin and our assurance of pardon. And in the administration of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. And the gospel must be shared and taught and proclaimed and declared in all of our Sunday morning classes. And the gospel must be shared by us. To our friends and family members. We must extend invitations for them to come and join us on Sunday morning to hear the gospel preached. And friends, don't underestimate just how likely many of your friends and family members are to actually agreeing to come with you. They'll come with you. They will come with you. They'll join you for a Thanksgiving evening service and for a fellowship meal. They will join you for an Advent worship service. They will come to a Christmas Eve service. So many of them will agree to come to you, come with you to one of uh, the presentations of Handel's Messiah in the middle of December. And at all of these services, at all of these events, the gospel will be preached. The gospel will be proclaimed and shared. Because it must be. Because the gospel must be heard. It's what Paul says in Romans 10, verses 14 and 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. See, the gospel must be heard. Okay, but look again at Ephesians 1.13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. The gospel must also be believed. You see, it's not enough for the sound of the gospel to to strike the auditory nerves in our ears. We must believe it. We must trust it by faith in our hearts. See, it's not enough for us to know the facts of the gospel, although knowing the facts of the gospel is important. I hope you know the facts of the gospel, but it's not enough. It's also not enough for us to believe that the facts of the gospel are true in general, although they are true. We must believe and trust and rest in the truth of the gospel for us. You must believe and trust and rest in the truth of the gospel for you. I must believe and rest and trust in the truth of the gospel for me, for our salvation and our sins. You see, in a month, most of us will have presents with our names on them under the Christmas tree. And you can see and know the gifts with your name on it if if your family's like mine, you know, my kids will go down there and they scope everything out. Even though we mix them all up, they, they sort them all out. And they know which ones are theirs and they section them off. They put little forts around them and everything. So you can see and know which gift is yours with your name on it. You can even believe that that particular gift is for you. But your gift truly becomes your gift when you unwrap it, when you open it. The gospel must be believed and trusted. Faith is the instrument by which we take possession of Christ. And Christ takes possession of us. 
You must have faith in Christ. However, we're not saved by our faith. We are saved by Christ. We're saved by Christ's life, death, and resurrection through faith. We're saved by Christ through faith. Look again at Ephesians 1.13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in him. Do you see the in him at the beginning and the end? It's in Christ at the beginning and the end. The key is that the gospel good news of your salvation is what Christ, is what Jesus Christ has done, has accomplished to save sinners like us. Listen to this quote from the old theologian B.B. Warfield. It is not faith that saves, but faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in any other Savior, or in this or that philosophy or human conceit, or in any other gospel than that of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, brings not salvation but a curse. It is not, strictly speaking, even faith in Christ that saves, but Christ that saves through faith. We read that again. It is not, strictly speaking, even faith in Christ that saves, but Christ that saves through faith. As we'll get to later in Ephesians, even our faith is a gift to us. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. So do you understand what all this means? It means the gospel really is good news. It's incredible news. It's the best possible news. It's news that's so wonderful, that's so incredible, I cannot tell, I can't describe how wonderful it is. That's how good it is. The gospel is good news that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, and you want to say, Richard, let me stop you right there. You don't know who I am. You don't know what I've done. Listen, I know. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you are not a lost cause. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you are not too far gone. Believe, trust, rest in what Jesus Christ has done, has accomplished to save sinners, even sinners like you and like me. Paul says in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For, it is, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. This really is true. It really is true, and it can be true for you. If you, even you, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. If you, even you, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Even you will be saved, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. You'll be saved. Be forgiven of all your sin. Fully pardoned. Credited with Jesus' righteous record. Clothed in his robes of righteousness. You know, in both of our services this morning, we received new members. I think we have new members also joining next Sunday. And so, and many of you have probably heard the, the membership vows read, you know, scores of times, maybe even 50, 60, you've heard them a lot throughout your life. I hope you've actually listened to them. Because they, they, especially the first two membership vows clarify what the gospel is and what the gospel isn't. Did you catch that earlier in the service? Here's the first membership vow. Do you acknowledge yourselves to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure, and without hope save in his sovereign mercy? 
It says, do you know that you're a sinner in need of a Savior? Do you know that you're a sinner who needs good news, not merely good advice? Do you know that you're a sinner who good advice won't do anything for? You don't need to think, well, I just need to be better because you'll never be better enough. Do you know that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, in need of good news? And the second membership vow is this. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel? See, that first vow asks, do you know that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, in need of good news? And that second question clarifies what the good news is, that it's not good advice. You need a Savior. And the only Savior there is, the only Redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Savior of sinners. And your only hope for salvation is to receive and rest upon him alone. The gospel, the good news of what he has done, what he has accomplished. See, the gospel is good news, not merely good advice. Difference between do and done. The gospel is not about what you must do to earn your salvation. The gospel is good news of what Jesus has done for sinners like you and like me. What what are you trusting in today? Are you trusting in good advice that you're just trying to be better? Are you trusting in turning over a new leaf? Are you trusting in your good outweighing your bad? I mean, what are you trusting in? Are you trusting in Jesus? And what he has accomplished. Is your, faith, is your faith in Christ or is your faith in faith? Faith in faith won't save you. Faith in the Savior will save you. Faith in what he has done in his life, death, and resurrection. Are you trusting in him? Will you trust in him? Will you receive and rest upon Jesus Christ? And all that he has done alone for your salvation as he is offered in the gospel. As the old hymn puts it, weary, working, burden one, wherefore toil you so? Cease your doing, all was done long, long ago. Cast your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him, in him alone, gloriously complete. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you that the gospel truly is good news and not merely good advice. For we need good news. Good advice is of no benefit to us. Lord, may every man, woman, and child here in this sanctuary understand clearly what the gospel is and what the gospel is not. And may we all receive and rest upon Christ alone and his finished work for salvation as he is offered in the gospel. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.